This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in the co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. We want to take this opportunity to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and season's greetings, and for those of you who are going to look at this podcast on YouTube, you got to love the Christmas sweater that I got on. I'm not sure about that rag that, that AJ's wearing, but we'll get to that in a sec. Uh, hockey fans finally got their Christmas wish, folks. The NHL owners and NHLPA have agreed to start the 2021 season on January 13, 2021. AJ, there were some bumps in the road, but we got here finally. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm super excited for uh, you know, for the, the holidays, for hockey to come back. As you can see in my background here, we've got our tree up. We've got our stockings hung over the fire. So, um, and I even, I splurged, Paul. I bought myself a little bit of an early Christmas present. Got the Pittsburgh oh, Penguins branded mask here. So, you know, uh, can can rock my Penguins gear in style, uh, you know, wherever I go. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a great time. It's, it's good to have everything kind of finalized, although, you know, I think there's uh, still some hiccups, it sounds like, to work out in Canada in terms of uh, arenas and stuff. Hopefully, the seven teams won't be coming south of the border here to play uh, in the U.S., but, uh, you know, they'll, I'm sure they'll figure that all out. But, you know, the, the biggest thing that I think came out of all of this is that teams are going to play exclusively within their divisions for that 56-game set. Uh, so that's going to make up the, the regular season. Um, and I think what's the, uh, what that's going to do is it's going to force teams that maybe haven't been huge rivals in the past to automatically build rivalries there. When you're playing, you know, a team that many times in a season, uh, even clubs that maybe aren't natural rivals, like say uh, Arizona and St. Louis, right? Like it, there's just going to become a rivalry because of you know that many of games against each other. AJ, I'm I'm a little older than you, and I barely remember the six-team NHL and the Leafs' 1967 Stanley Cup win. Yeah, like how I got that in there. <laughs> Had to throw something in for historians, and it's becoming ancient history around here. I'm looking for for some update in Toronto, but uh, uh, I I 
am a historian, and I know that teams in that area, they played a 70-game schedule. That meant they played each other 14 times. And there's a potential here for not only, let's take the North Division where the Canadian teams reside, they're going to play each other 9 or 10 times, throw in a 6 or 7-game playoff series. That's 15, 16, 17 games possible between a couple of these teams. And and that's going to make for a lot of hatred across the board uh, in all the divisions in the NHL. I really love this format. The only thing that I, I think we, we forsake is the fact that we don't get to see all the clubs come through our, our favorite team cities, and that's a bit of a downer, but this is a heck of a compromise. And uh, Why don't we go, and go through and uh, share with our listeners the fact now that we have the makeup not only of the Canadian division is known, but all three of the other uh, American divisions made up of the 24 clubs are, are now set as well. They didn't come up with very creative names they went so far with North, West, Central, and East, AJ. I was hoping to have a nod to some of the great players in the history of the game, even if it is just for this one season. But for what it's worth, the North Division does feature the Canadian clubs. That means Calgary and Edmonton, Montreal and Ottawa, Toronto, Vancouver, and Winnipeg are all in, in the same loop. And uh, travel is free and easy so far across Canada. But uh, the restriction across the border is what's led to this whole situation that we face. And uh, I think it's going to be wonderful. North of the border, the rating is going to go through the roof in terms of uh, what we can expect on Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday. The country will stop when these games come on. And we probably will have double headers to boot on those nights. And uh, I can't wait for it to get started. I, I uh, was reacquainted with my wife so far during the last eight or nine months <laughs> with the sports sabbatical that we've been forced to. But uh, man, oh man. And she's going to become a sports widow again, and she knows it. But uh, I, I can't wait for this uh, this season to unfold and that division to really be front and center in the Bruno household. What say you about the uh, Western Division, AJ? Well, yeah, I totally agree with what you're what you were saying about the team names. I think it was a, a miss there. I, I get we don't want to like pick winners, and and certain teams are going to be happy about it. You know, it's probably a little bit too early to have, you know, the Penguins in a Lemieux division, right? Uh, Flyers fans probably wouldn't really appreciate that. But, I mean, there's <laughs> players that could have transcended that. We could have had an Orr, a Willie O'Ray, uh, you know, um, a Hall maybe, or, or um, uh, yeah, any one of those. Gretzky could have been one. I, I think there's uh, a number of guys that, that would have been warranted there. Even if we wanted to recycle it to, like, really avoid anybody getting super upset, you know, we could have done Richard Rocket and we could have done – uh, Vesna, you know, yeah, division. I, I think there's better things that they could have done than Northwest, East, and Central. And and I get probably why Central, but to me, like South would have maybe made a little more sense there too. Dallas is South, Nashville, Tampa, Florida. Like, sure, I get Chicago is not really South, but they could have made do with it. Anyway, the the West, you're looking. Uh, at some of your traditional Western teams, your Pacific teams in, in Anaheim, Arizona, uh, San, uh, San Jose, L.A., Vegas. But then you're also adding in Minnesota, Colorado and the Blues, which, uh, you know, to have uh, you've got the Blues and, and the Golden Knights there together uh, in the same division. It's, and obviously Colorado, too, being as good as they are. Uh, if I had to pick, this might be the easiest one of, of the four um, there's some teams here that are still kind of rebuilding, still retooling. And, and so it, it could potentially come up as, as one of the easier ones. That's for sure. I mean, 
not to give anything away for future shows, but Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas, I think, in some combination, are going to be everybody's top three here. Paul, what about the Central? What do you what do you think about that group? Well, the first thing that's notable there, AJ, is the two Stanley Cup finalists are in the same division. That's never happened in the, in the modern era of hockey for several years. But uh, Tampa and Dallas are in there, and uh, Nashville, Florida, Detroit, Columbus, Chicago, and Carolina rounded out. I think it's going to be a competitive loop, but not too many natural rivalries that are well-known, but certainly Detroit and Chicago are, are there, uh, Florida and, and Tampa are there, so uh, they're used to seeing each other a lot, and I think Columbus is an up-and-coming team, Carolina as well, so it's going to be a competitive loop, and uh, I think a tough one to call right now in terms of the leaders in the division, and don't forget there's a, there's a few teams like Tampa that are not yet cap-compliant, cap and the moves they they have to make before the season starts may bring some of these teams back to the pack when we thought that they had a clear lead on some of the others. So intrigue uh, a plenty in the Central Division before we get started here. And finally, AJ, the division that is probably going to hold your interest and some great great rivalries in this loop for sure. Yeah, I mean, other than probably the North, which has your your natural Canadian rivalries, you've got the Battle of Edmonton in there or Alberta in there rather. Um, you know, the East is probably right there with Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, New York uh, on both sides, Islanders, Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington all rounding that out. I mean, to have Boston, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington all in one division, plus some of the, you know, the teams that have, uh, you know, the Islanders have been really good under Barry Trotz, uh, Rangers are up and coming, and Buffalo, there's, there's, um, you know, I think if you looked at this group last year, at the start of last season, you might have been able to pick out which ones are probably the top half and which are the bottom half. But I definitely don't think that's the case at this point. Um, and there's some clubs that have made the playoffs a significant number of years in a row that uh, may struggle to do so uh, in coming out of this East. Yeah, I think that's the news that's front and center when we when we talk about a few of these divisions. Seems that we're looking like a lock in in the regular course of a normal season for a playoff spot will be in tough to to fight for a playoff spot. We're going to find that out in the in the analysis of the Canadian division when we get into it shortly, AJ. And uh, that's where we're going to start our show. But but I'll remind our listeners that the schedule will be fifty six games for each club, and as AJ said, the regular season will be played exclusively within a division. So some great great rivalries in store for all of us that means the u.s based teams will play each other eight times during the regular season nice symmetrical 56 games uh, on the season so the seven seven uh, foes will show up eight times in uh, in your docket if you're a fan of those division clubs while the canadian clubs will face off nine or ten times each just to get to the 56 game total aj will likely see plenty of back-to-backs we'll probably see like teams show up and in, in the opposing teams rink for two straight games or maybe three straight games there's even a couple of hints that some teams will play each other four in a row uh, in their schedules i can't wait to see that rolled out in the very near future and uh, the idea is to keep things tight and and keep things rolling and get it all done before the Summer Olympics. That's the deadline that's imposed, and that means they got to get this done by mid-July. And uh, so, as we said, we're going to get started with uh, our preseason division previews featuring the North Division, or as I call it, AJ, the Canadian Division. But before we go there, partner, you have a job to do and reminding our listeners about Bet MGM. 
Yeah, sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with RotoWire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month RotoWire subscription when you place your first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and use the promo code ROTO, that's R-O-T-O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length uh, of RotoWire's unmatched sports insight. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age uh, or older to wager Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text REDLINE to 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. All right, partner, let's get into these Canadian clubs, beginning with the Calgary Flames. We'll start by reminding our listeners of uh, a few tips that we shared last week in in terms of new faces in in these places. Calgary, of course, the big news here is they acquired Jacob Markstrom, taking him from Vancouver in terms of free agency and uh, Chris Tanev came along as well in that same maybe the same flight to get out of Vancouver and sign up with the Flames <laughs> Josh Levo will be a depth forward here Joaquin Nordstrom Dominic Simone and Nikita Nesterov will all challenge for positions uh, we'll also break it down by going through the goalie situations for each club defense and forwards AJ why don't you begin with an analysis of the net mining situation in Calgary as you see it and I'll I'll uh, answer your thoughts yeah absolutely so with the flames obviously as paul mentioned jacob markstrom comes in uh to be the presumptive number one here uh david riddich who you know for a while it seemed like that was the direction that they were going to go um last season had it had some struggles and so uh they bring in markstrom look you're not paying a guy that much money to sit on the bench so as long as he's healthy uh he's going to carry the load for them I would, you know, I would expect again, you know, until we see the schedule and have a better idea of how often we're getting back to backs, it's kind of hard to project. Um, But I would guess maybe a 60 40 split here based on a heavy load of back to backs. Um, But Jacob Markstrom will definitely be their guy for them. And I really think he's capable of, you know, recreating some of the the things he did last season. I I felt like he had a strong year, uh, did pick up some injuries, obviously, uh, along the way. But uh, 43 games played, 23 wins in, in that stretch. And um, obviously with you know less games, it'll be harder to reach certain thresholds. But um, certainly the, the mid-20s is probably a decent range for him uh, in terms of wins this year. Yeah, I like the way you called it, AJ. And, and in looking at this Goldie tandem, it's, it's uh, going to be something that a lot of teams emulate where we don't have the presumptive number one who's going to play 80 to 85 percent of the games on too many teams uh, going forward and it's going to come in handy with what we see, expect as a condensed schedule we'll have a better idea probably when we do some of the other division previews going forward but i like your call about the 60 40 here and uh, maybe a, a titch more for for markstrom than that but not much i i don't think and they're lucky that they have that possibility so 
we'll see how it all plays out going forward. But I, I do, do think Markstrom will be in there opening night and get the lion's share of the net minding. In terms of the breakdown on defense, Mark Giordano will have a new uh, partner as his uh, line mate when he gets out there. And uh, I, I think Mark Giordano is going to be pretty happy, though, with Chris Tanev, a smooth skating guy who's just like almost in the same mold as the departed T.J. Brody, filling in that role. Noah Hannafin and Oliver Shillington will pick up the second pairing, and there, then it gets a little thinner beyond that. There's a couple of guys with NHL experience, including the aforementioned Nikita Nesterov, Yusuf Alamaki, and Rasmus Anderson, all with a little experience. You can throw in Alex Petrovich in the mix, and then as a bit of a wild card, Alexander Yelison. AJ, what do you think about uh, this group as a whole? I think it's, it's not one of the strongest ones in this division, but the top four is pretty serviceable. Yeah, absolutely. I think Chris Tanev was a, a really good addition for them. He'll, he'll free up Mark Giordano um, to get into the play a little bit more, um, to have kind of that solid defensive partner. So I, I like his acquisition here. You can debate whether he was you know, worth the term or, or the, the price tag there. But overall, in terms of, of what they've got there, um, a, good, a good acquisition for them, I think. Uh, overall, I, I agree. It's not the strongest group. Um, you know, it, it does drop off a little bit there. Uh, for me, the wild card is Nikita Nesterov and, and whether or not he can transition his game, uh, you know, to the NHL level in, in kind of a, a fuller capacity than what we've seen in the past. Um, so, yeah, that's that's going to be the biggest question to me. Um, you know, he has games under his belt, but he hasn't played over here uh, since 2016-17. So, uh, it, what are we going to get? Are we going to get kind of a revitalized player um, that kind of retooled his career a little bit? Or are we going to get somebody who, who struggles? We've seen all kinds of things when guys come back over from the KHL uh, to, to the NHL. In terms of the, the forward group, I, I think this is the biggest strength for this team. Uh, you know, you'll start with a, a top line of Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monahan, and Elias Lindholm. Uh, I, I think this is a group really that can uh, match up well with the, the rest of the league, really, in terms of a top line. Um, they may not get some of the accolades that, that some of their contemporaries do, but this is a really strong group. Um, the second line has has a good one, too, and, and uh, Michael Backlund and, and Matthew Tichuk. Right now, uh, I think we're kind of projecting Andrew Mangiapane will fill that second-line role, but there's a number of players that I think could be in contention. Uh, Dominic Simone could be an option for them. Uh, depending on if he's fully healthy and ready to go. Um, but right now, I think Mangiapane will be kind of the leader there. The third line, again, there, there's some things I like about it. You've got Sam Bennett and Dylan Dubé. That I think they're a really good pairing, uh, some up-and-comers, and, and can go well. But then they're kind of like dragging an anchor in the, the corpse of Milan Lucic <laughs> along with them here. And so, um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's been a good fit in Calgary for Milan Lucic. And I, I honestly would rather see um, even a, a younger guy like uh, Buddy Robinson or, or Byron Froese to, to get a look there. Um, so I, I think there's better options potentially and move Lucic to a true checking physical role and, and put him on the fourth line. But but I don't run the organization as much as I would love to run an NHL club. Um, nobody's asked me to do that yet. So uh, fourth line looks right now like uh, Joachim Nordstrom, Derek Ryan, and Dominic Simone. But again, that could shuffle around uh, a little bit. Josh Levo, Zach Ronaldo are both 
uh, in contention and get some minutes there. So for me, top line, good. Um, second line, decent, but it, it definitely, there's some concerns there for the, the rest of the way for me. And I think when you highlight the Calgary Flames, we know the first line is one of the top units in the league. And there's a few teams in this loop that have some awesome front lines, but, uh, the Calgary unit may be the equal of all of them, in my opinion. Uh, but the super pest in this division is Matthew Tuchuk. There's going to be fans in six other cities, six or seven, six other cities that are going to absolutely hate this guy before the end of the season because he you, you can't help but notice him when he's on the ice. He's a disturber, and he's a talented player to boot, so a really hard guy to, to for me to take uh, as an opponent of, of my favorite club. And uh, Milan Lucic, one of the feared, most feared scrappers in the league. I wonder, with the increased frequency of meeting up with the opponents in this division, vision if he'll be busier dropping the gloves than he has been in recent years that'll be something to watch for if we see an uptick in fighting across the nhl and uh, i don't know where you stand on it aj but in every game that i've ever been to whenever the players drop the gloves the first thing you see is a, a sea of fans get out of their seats anticipating <laughs> the the duking it out and uh other, there's a whole bunch of other fans that you talk to they say oh hockey hockey doesn't need fighting it's the only sport that has fighting and allows players to stay in the game and so on and so forth but i i think it's a part of the game aj and it it can change momentum and uh nobody's ever died from a hockey fight it's uh it's just been a part of the game and uh, i like the fact that it's in there it keeps the the rats from from going off r- running rampant and uh, the stick fouls from from getting more increased in terms of frequency it keeps people honest and a uh, guy like lucic is a pretty good policeman to have in there but in terms of the uh, expectations you know we're looking at 56 game schedule so I think the top goal scorers might be in the high 20s here in terms of goal scoring. And Gaudreau is is a guy that might threaten the 20, should threaten the 20 goal mark. Ditto for Lindholm and Monaghan. Each of these guys should get get at or above that threshold. You might even throw Matthew Tuchuk in there. Beyond that, you're looking for pluggers like Sam Bennett to pick up from where he left off last year. A bit of a down season, most of all. But I think he's got more in him than he showed for most of the regular season. He came on a little bit later on in the year, and I expect to see that version. Dylan Dubay is a guy that they're waiting for a breakout. He might be the candidate on this roster that I might suggest is in line for a breakout campaign, but don't expect him to move up higher on the right-wing chart when you got Lindholm and Tuchuk ahead of him. And Dominic Simone could be another intriguing piece. You know him well from, from his time in Pittsburgh, AJ. A very nice depth piece should they encounter injuries. This guy could be a plug-and-play guy even up to the second line, uh, the way I see this grouping. So all in all, pretty solid lineup in Calgary. And uh, we move on now to take a look at the new faces in Edmonton, AJ. Kyle Touris looking to rehabilitate his career after some down times in Nashville, back in Canada where he had his best success as a junior. If you can remember back to that era, he uh, made one of the highlight real performances in world junior hockey history when he took three straight penalty shots in a uh, in a shootout portion where they allow you to choose the same player he scored each time and uh, helped Canada to advance to the to the championship in his his uh, year Tyson Berry looking to make up for a down year in Toronto uh, signed a nice free agent deal in in Edmonton and uh, he's going to get a bigger role than even he anticipated because of some injury issues on the blue line definitely going to be the linchpin on the power play Dominic Cahoon and Yessi Puyarvi is another guy 
that I'm looking forward to seeing what did he learn in his time in Finland over the last couple of years. This guy was a high, high draft pick that didn't really pan out in his first go-around in Edmonton, but is going to get another look-see here uh, with the Oilers, and uh, hopefully he's, his game has matured, and he has as a player, uh, and, he, and he fits in here. If he does, he could be a real surprise. But uh, before we get to the forwards, AJ, I know you want to get to the goalie situation here and walk us through the tandem that should be familiar to Edmonton fans. Yeah, familiar and, and much maligned, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it, for, for the Edmonton fans, I, I think you headed into the offseason. You looked at the open market there, and you figured that they would do something, right? I mean, uh, Matt Murray available via trade. You've got uh, Lundqvist uh, was available. You had uh, Holpe available. Uh, even, uh, you know, I know there's some injury concerns there, but um, uh, Corey Crawford was an option as well. So you have all these guys available and they're coming back with Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith. So uh, I can imagine Edmonton fans were not really uh, appreciative of this offseason. But uh, I, I think you could see an even split here in, in terms of this duo. So um, if you're going to you know, tap, tap them for your, for your fantasy teams, you may want to just consider taking both um, because I, I think uh, they'll probably be a, a 1A, 1B, uh, and not because they're that good, but because they're equally that mediocre. Um, to, to put it nicely, if I'm if I'm being perfectly blunt about it, um, this is the weakest aspect of this team. Uh, no question about it. That's right. If you looked at the forwards and defense, AJ, you'd rank this team maybe at the top of the division. But I think that this this ordinary tandem, when you particularly when you compare it to other tandems in this loop, it's going to cost the Oilers maybe a, a place or two in the overall standings. But we're talking about the goalies here and uh, Mike Smith parlayed uh, so-so campaign into another season is age 38 campaign and so I think that's a factor in this in this season where you don't think he's going to get too many back-to-back assignments and definitely should take a backseat to Koskinen the club committed to Koskinen a little bit longer term and rightfully so he's the younger of the two but not a not a top flight uh, goalie prospect when you're looking at ranking the top goalies in this league by any stretch of the imagination so this definitely is the weak link of the uh, the Oilers franchise, albeit there's two two guys that were there last year uh, in the fold. We're looking now at the defense, EJ, uh, AJ, and Ethan Bear is a guy who's going to be uh, paired with Darnell Nurse. That's going to be a boost for his game. This guy's got a great offensive game to him and partnered with a guy who's very defensively responsible and a real horse in terms of the ability to log a lot of minutes in Darnell Nurse. I think that's going to be one of the more intriguing pairings of blue lines across the league. Tyson Berry slots in on the second pairing with Caleb Jones. Tyson Berry was exposed on the defensive side of the puck in Toronto as far as I'm concerned, AJ. And I don't know if Caleb Jones has what it takes to cover up for his errors. So that could be a very suspect pairing. Uh, They don't have a lot of depth here because Oscar Clefbaum is injured and not expected to miss this season with a shoulder injury. So that's a big blow here. And it forces uh, Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear to probably expect to log more minutes than was expected when they first drew up the blueprint for this team in the offseason. They round out their top six with veteran bruiser Chris Larson and Adam Larson, a veteran pairing. That might be one of the better third pairings in the league uh, in, in terms of blue line depth. But I, I have concerns about this group too, mostly because Clefbaum will be missing and that forces Jones and Bear to take up a little more of the slack. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, we knew he was going to miss the start of the season. But, yeah, yesterday Edmonton announced uh, that Oscar Clefbaum shut down for the entire year. Now, they were very clear that he's going to focus on being ready for that next full season. So this is not a, a retire and spend the you know the rest of uh, his time on, on long-term IR. So they are anticipating after this year that he'll be back. I honestly look at this group and I think, well, maybe they should flip like Russell and Jones, you know, to do kind of a, a defensive guy, an offensive guy. Give Tyson Berry somebody a little more stable uh, like Chris Russell or even Adam, Adam Larson. Um, so that would be my my first fix here would be to flip those two guys uh, and, and give you that one offensive guy, one defensive guy kind of kind of mindset. Yeah. In terms of the forward complement. Look, uh, this is probably one of the deepest center groups uh, in this in this loop. Uh, when you talk about Connor McDavid, number one, Leon Dreisaitl, number two, and then adding Kyle Turris to be your third line center. I mean, this is a, a really uh, quality center of the group. And, and then they have the flexibility if they want to move Dreisaitl to the wing. He's that kind of versatile player. And if, you know, if it's late in the game and they need a goal, you move Dreisaitl up to the right wing and, and you roll him out there with Connor McDavid on the same line. And then Kyle Turris is anchoring your number two in kind of that rotation. So I, I really like the flexibility that they've given themselves. Um, overall, the first line is going to be uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Connor McDavid, who have really paired up well. Um, the question mark for me is who fits in on the right wing. Right now, it looks like maybe Seth, uh, Seth Griffith. Could be Kyler Yamamoto, either one of those guys. And even, you know, James Neal, uh, Zach Cassian played some time on that top line last season. So that right wing is kind of the, the weak spot, if you will, the top line. But when you have Connor McDavid out there, there's really not uh, a way to call this a bad line by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, like I said, Dreisaitl gets the second line center. Right now we've got Yamamoto on his right and Josh Archibald on the left. Um, again, I, I think those are fluid uh, pretty fluid in, in that sense. They could even, if they wanted to, they could move Dreisaitl to the wing on the second line and move Kyle Terrace up. So, again, that kind of flexibility. Um, third line is looking like Tyler Ennis, Kyle Terrace, and James Neal. I really like that group. It's a very strong veteran group. Terrace and Neal know each other from their time in Nashville. And so I, I think it's a strong third line that can do uh, pretty much anything. I mean, I, they can be physical, relying a little bit more on Tyler Ennis' side of it. Um, they're, they're veteran. I think maybe if there's one downside, they're maybe not the quickest line anymore. Um, but I think that's going to be a, a very hard matchup for a lot of teams to, to you know pair up against. And then Alex Chason, Juju Kahara, and, and Zach Cassian right now round out that, that third line. Gaetan Haas could be in contention as well once he's able to join training camp so for me um, the flexibility of dry saddle the the depth down the middle i think make this a really strong forward group and aj when we look at the names like mcdavid and dry saddle we think of prop bets for ind individual total points and fans in a in the newly configured 56 game schedule are wondering what's a reasonable over under in terms of total points for these guys and i would say based on an 80 games 80 82 game schedule these guys would have been over 100 points in the regular season a lock so that's better than one and a quarter uh, points per game in a 56 game schedule that means they're expected to top the 70 point mark so if you're looking at the at the lines that are out there use that as your barometer i would take the over for mcdavid and dry 
for a 70-point season. I think they could get even closer to 80 but for each of them. So that's just a bit of a, uh, a numbers game that we play now with, with the 56-game schedule to figure out what's reasonable and expected for two of the league's top scorers that are featured in the, in the middle of the ice for the Oilers. You mentioned Kyle Tourist slots in as the number three position. He had a chance in Nashville to, to be in that role. Didn't work out very well, but I think back in Canada, back possibly featured on a second power play here, could be do wonders for him. You mentioned uh, the, the turnstile that we expect on the right wing, and that is an opportunity for us to offer another reminder in an area of Rotowire's website that you work on on a daily basis in terms of setting the lineups. In terms, that's one of the tabs that we have when you look at the Rotowire hockey uh, side of the site. Uh, we update those situations on a daily basis because we're in contact with people who report on the practice lines and practice reports and game day reports for each of the teams and that's where you're going to get the best information for who's playing where right now we feature Seth Griffith there something a bit of a surprise when you look at other names that are listed here but if he does line up he's going to be a great value in daily fantasy uh, for those people that that do follow uh, Rotowire's site Kyler Yamamoto and James Neal will have something to say and you mentioned Zach Cassian was featured on that unit for much of the season riding shotgun for Hop, Nugent Hopkins and McDavid giving them a little bit of extra ice is no small factor in why he was deployed there a guy on the left side that I'll be watching for is Tyler Ennis this guy even got some power play time on a very strong second power play unit in Edmonton re-signed for for that same role and uh, is good injury insurance should one of Nugent Hopkins or, or Josh Archibald get hurt even Alex Chason could move up to a second line so really you mentioned the word fluid I expect plenty of fluidity here among the Edmonton forwards uh, even when they're healthy and uh, let alone if injuries do crop up so lots of talent up front definitely the strength of this team particularly that one-two punch at center ice AJ now we move on to the next club in the pecking order, and that's the Montreal Canadiens in the alphabetical order. I'll say not pecking order. We'll get to the pecking order soon enough, <laughs> and we'll have fun with that, believe me. New faces in Montreal. Josh Anderson, they signed this guy to a long-term deal. I think it's going to be a contract that bites this club in the butt before too long. Uh, the guy had an injury-commuted campaign, did show up in the playoffs, and showed up fairly well. But when you look at one goal in 20-some games in the regular season, I wonder if that's a pace that he's going to emulate in Montreal. I expect him to do better than that. But if if he doesn't, man, the boo, the boo birds will be out in the streets for this guy. Never mind the fact they're not in the arenas. Tyler Toffoli, I love the way this guy plays the game, AJ. And fans in Canada are going to get to see him more regularly than the late nights on the West Coast. And uh, a rugged performer. I have more faith in him being a factor in Montreal than Anderson, to be quite frank. Joel Edmondson, uh, another big uh, presence on the blue line. Big and slow is the way they like them in Montreal, I guess, because that's the profile that I see when I look at some of the names on this blue line. Jake Allen, this might be one of the more intriguing signings, AJ, when you consider that they spent about almost $14 million, $15 million on their goalie tandem. And before this 56-game schedule and in anticipating an 82-game schedule, I wondered out loud, why did they do this? But uh, Mark Bergevin could come out really smelling like a rose because he signed Jake Allen to back up Carey Price and uh, they won't fear the back-to-back nights at all in Montreal and with that a great segue for you to talk about the goalie tandem here and uh, forecast what you expect to see yeah absolutely I mean the the you hit the nail on the head it's it's definitely uh, the most expensive goalie tandem in the NHL there's no question about that 
um, even outpacing uh, the Vegas uh, duo there as well in terms of overall costs. And that's because Carey Price is the highest paid goalie in the league at 10 and a half mil. Um, and, and honestly worth it. Look, I know Montreal hasn't had a lot of success the last couple of years, but if you look at that team, just imagine them without Carey Price. Like this is in some of these years, this would have been like an Ottawa bad team without Carey Price for, for a number of years. And so he has earned this team plenty of wins and deserving of every dime penny that they have to give him. Uh, I think Jake Allen's addition, if they can make it work with the cap and the rest of the lineup, I think is, is really a good, uh, good fit for them. And you're right, Paul, this is a team that will have no concerns about back to backs. I still think we'll see Carey Price face upward of, you know, 70% of starts um, overall, just because again, he's making huge money. He is that good. Um, but anytime there's a back-to-back, I, I think we'll see Jake Allen in there. So I guess, you know, if, if the schedule is set in a way that they play all 56 games in back-to-back sets, I would imagine they would go a 50, 50 split, um, just because they, they have Jake Allen to, to get there. But overall, I'm expecting Carey Price to still carry about 70% of the starts here. Yeah, I think that's a very good analysis of the breakdown. Uh, Carey Price getting a little bit older, not mean by no means ancient, but early 30s now for him, and uh, good to have a, a viable backup, but still expect Carey to, pl- to uh, play two-thirds of the games here, I think, is, is a pretty fair call. So uh, probably uh, mid-30s to high 30s in terms of games played for him and Jake Allen picking up the slack getting one of the back-to-backs every time that does come up I mentioned big and slow on the blue line that really applies to the left side of this defense with Ben Chirot Joel Edmondson and Brett Kulak featured there none of them should be uh, fantasy uh, big, uh, linchpins for for teams unless you're in the very deepest of pools but look at the right side they've got some quality there in Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie Jeff Petrie one of the more underrated scoring defensemen could be a, a real clever pick mid-round mid to late rounds in your drafts a guy who gets a lot of power play time in Montreal Shea Weber uh, injury prone guy on the blue line but still capable of double digits and in, in goal scoring with the big shot that he has but the guy that everybody's wanting to look forward to see is Alexander Romanov and how the youngster does fit in as he makes his NHL debut he's uh, he's got a guy that on paper looks to be a contender for the rookie of the year honors should uh, the hype meet uh, meet up with uh, performance this season AJ what do you think of this mix well I, I agree I think Romanov is is a big question here Look, the, the weird part is his, his overall numbers, right? And, and maybe it's just a deployment question, but um, his last two seasons in, in the KHL played 43 games in each of those seasons, oddly enough, and had four points uh, one year and seven points last year. That's really not a lot of offensive production. But then you look at World Juniors where he's playing, um, you know, maybe a little bit more on his, his age level and, and group. He had eight points in 2019, six points in 2020. Again, played seven games in, in each of those seasons uh, or uh, tournaments, rather. So I, I'm not sure what to expect in terms of offensive up- output. Are we going to get the guy who, when playing against you know older players in the KHL, really kind of a minimal impact? But maybe it's just because they had other options on the power play, where I imagine he contributed power play, uh, you know, performance at, at junior at, at world junior. So, um, I am intrigued to see where he fits in. 
I think he projects to be in the top six here. Uh, although, you know, Victor Mete, Kale Fleury are, are both capable players who, who might have something to say about that. But, um, you know, I, I do have some question marks there. It's, it's definitely, I think you summed it up well, um, big and slow a little bit with this group, other than maybe some of the, these youngsters who right now we project to be out on the outside looking in. Uh, in terms of forward, what was that, Paul? What, the forward combination? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, it starts with the, the top line will be the, uh, pretty standard from what we've come to be used to them the last couple of years. Thomas Tatar, Philip Deneau, and Brendan Gallagher. These guys have dealt with a couple injuries the last couple of seasons. So, um, you know, we haven't always gotten to see them together. But really a, another quality top line, um, you know, you're not going to see a whole lot of bad first lines in, in any of the teams in the NHL. But uh, this is a group that has experience playing together and can definitely produce, again, maybe not quite as heralded as, as Edmonton's uh, stars are, but these are these are capable guys. The biggest difference is, is on the second line. I think Nick Suzuki is going to slot in as that second line center. Uh, you'll have Josh Anderson at, on his right wing and then Tyler Toffoli as the other guy. I think this is a great spot for Suzuki to play with some more established guys. Um, you really... Yes, yes, Barry Kottenemi could be a name that challenges him, but I don't think he's going to face a, a ton of challenge. I think he should feel pretty, uh, you know, you don't want him to get lackadaisical, obviously, but I think he should feel pretty confident and secure in being the second-line center here, and that should give him a little bit more freedom to just play his game and not have to really overthink it. I mentioned Kottenemi. He'll anchor the third line. Looks like Jonathan Druin and Joel Armia are the guys that will um, slide in there. Armia and Anderson are maybe the biggest question mark here. I could see them flipping from time to time, but overall, especially heading into the season, I think Anderson gets the first look at the top six role. Going to round out with Paul Byron, Ryan Poling, and Arturi Lekkinen as the last group. Um, Jake Evans maybe could compete for a spot here. Jordan Wheel get a couple of games from time to time, but really uh, there's not a lot pushing this fourth line group. I think it's going to be up to them to challenge for top nine spots if, if this team's going to you know move forward and have any sort of success. AJ, the heart and soul of this team is Brendan Gallagher up front, but can the guy stay healthy? He plays a lot of rugged minutes, sticks his nose in as a little guy wherever he can, and uh, sometimes he pays a, pr- a physical price and a physical toll. But uh, the most underrated player among this group is Philip Deneau, really strong two-way center. This guy, you can put him up against some of the other offensive dynamos in this division, and he'll hold his own offensively too. A real good counterpunch option for Montreal there. But uh, the fortunes of this team will ride with that second line as it's laid out I think it's the first line the way uh, the way I see it Nick Suzuki took a giant leap in his rookie season last year an outstanding campaign for Montreal and I look for him to build on that particularly as he's got the rugged guys on on his flanks in Anderson and Toffoli should get a lot of ice space out there and uh, use his creativity to, to build on what he did last season the success of this team, though, may well be determined on what happens with Jesperi Kotkaniemi. We took some hits from our buddy uh, Daniel Negreanu for panning this guy last year, and really expectations for Montreal this season, in my mind, are largely tied to whether he can take 
the quantum leap or even something approaching that that Suzuki did last year and uh, bring the best out of Jonathan Drouin, who signed a big contract here in Montreal and really hasn't lived up to that billing by a long shot, and that's why he's relegated to third-line minutes. He needs to get his act together to improve the fortunes of this club. Armia has shown flashes of being a top-six winger here, but uh, slotting him in on the third line on the right side just tells you they have a bit of depth on that flank, and uh, Lekkonen is a guy that's going to challenge that, as you suggested. Ryan Poling had a dynamic debut a couple of years ago uh, with a hat-trick in his first NHL game, but beyond that, uh, he's been struggling to, to... make a dent in the offense in Montreal and behind that three pack ahead of him I don't think he's going to get too much in terms of top six minutes but a good insurance policy I think based on his offensive pedigree that uh, takes us to the Ottawa Senators the consensus team pick uh, among all pundits to finish last in this division but uh, I think they're turning a corner AJ and I'm glad to see that they spent some of the, the cap space that we identified for them late last season They signed the likes of Evgeny Dodonov, Matt Murray, Alex Galchenyuk, Austin Watson, Eric Goodbranson, and Josh Brown in the offseason. Matt Murray's going to anchor their goaltending pairing, and uh, Galchenyuk and Dodonov certainly going to improve the offensive weaponry here. But uh, I want to circle back to the goalie situation, and maybe you can explain to me why Murray chose to go to Ottawa, uh, signed for big bucks. That might be the biggest motivating factor that entered his decision, but how does the goalie tandem look to you? Well, I mean, let, let's start off by saying, yes, he signed that, that RFA deal, but he did have to be, be traded to, to Ottawa. So somebody had to want him first um, and be willing to offer something that the, that the Penguins wanted. Now, um, I think the fact that Ottawa went after him and, and aggressively tried to acquire him speaks a lot to what they expect in terms of Anders Nilsson's health. Um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of updates there most recently in, in mid-December. Um, you know, he still is dealing um, with some concussion symptoms and, and it sounds like, you know, they are kind of in a wait and see mode. And so I think once healthy, he'll ch- I, I would expect Anders Nilsson to challenge Matt Murray for the starting job and really uh, push him, which, uh, you know, I, I can't say whether or not uh, whether or not I think that's good for Matt Murray. You know, his first couple of years when he was the guy challenging Marc-Andre Fleury for the number one job, he, he succeeded in that. And that, that kind of competition seemed to, you know, seemed to thrive for him. But since then, even last year with, you know, Tristan Jari pushing him and, and taking over as the number one in Pittsburgh, it just didn't seem to have the same uh, drive in, in Matt Murray. And, and really, I think that's why um, he's on the way out. Now, hopefully, the, you know, for him and, and for Ottawa fans, the change in scenery is good. But Murray will not face a whole lot of challenges early in the season if Nelson's not available. Marcus Hoberg will slot in as their, their third netminder, and I don't really expect him to, to challenge Matt Murray for the starting job. So uh, I would anticipate at the start of the season, we might even see Murray take a couple back-to-backs and, until Nelson's ready. Um, and, and then from there, maybe a, a closer to an even split. Um, once once Nilsson comes back, if he comes back, I mean, we have to explore the possibility that, that maybe he won't um, just because we haven't heard a lot of positive updates about his status. Yeah, on the flip side, if he does get healthy, AJ, we got to mention the Seattle Kraken are going to be looking at situations like this where there are two goalies on a team that 
could be considered almost equal if if they're both healthy. And uh, I, I think this is one of them where Nelson was showing an uptick in his career trajectory in the last couple of seasons, making a dent in the Ottawa uh, goalie pairings and uh, showing quite well from time to time. So I think Seattle's going to keep an eye on this and many other goalie tandems across the league. Uh, if healthy, I think uh, he'll close the gap on Murray fairly quickly uh, in terms of the goalie split here. But I do think on paper it looks like at least a 60-40 heading into the season we turn our attention to the defense tandems and uh, Nikita Zaitsev is a guy who signed a long-term deal in Toronto but the Leafs flipped him uh, in a trade uh, and Ottawa picked him up uh, it was a salary dump by Toronto but he's considered a linchpin on the Ottawa defense uh, with a first line pairing with Thomas Shabbat Shabbat one of the top uh, defensemen in terms of scoring projections all things being equal he's only held by, back by the fact that, Mont- uh, that Ottawa is not one of the highest scoring teams in the league but you forget a couple of seasons ago this guy was among the league leaders in point scoring so don't sleep on him in terms of your fantasy projections he'll get a lot of ice time on the power play here it's getting better in terms of overall talent up front that should only help his numbers beyond him uh, Eric Brandstrom is going to be moved up to a second pairing D but uh, one of the guys that uh, not a lot is known about Artyom Zub this guy played in the KHL for the last six seasons AJ and last year had a bit of a breakout campaign offensively the Sens would love to see that continue in their fold and he could be a guy who may be power play uh, maybe the power play quarterback on the second unit here certainly projecting to get upwards of 20 minutes a game on a second pairing beyond that it's depth pieces like Eric Goodbranson Josh Brown Christian Willen and Mike Riley will battle for third line minutes on this grouping so keep an eye on Zub and Shabbat I think in terms of fantasy value on this blue line yeah I totally agree with everything you said Paul and and Zub is is the big question mark um, so it depends how risky you want to be in, in your, your fantasy drafts this year. You know, you could certainly uh, take a flyer on him in, in the mid. You could probably even snag him in a, in a late round. Um, I, I would guess there'll be a handful of leagues, depending on depth and number of players, that, that he doesn't even get drafted. So um, big question mark for them. Really, Branchum, Will Annan, uh, you know, Josh Brown, all these guys are kind of question marks. Can they step forward? Can they improve their game? and go from there. So uh, more, more questions than answers. That's for sure. Uh, in this defense for me, again, you said Thomas Shabbat is kind of the, the one key piece here uh, in terms of the forwards. Look, I have to walk back something. I said just a few minutes ago that there are no bad first lines in the <laughs> NHL. Um, look, there there's, there's, you know, you've got Dan Nob on one side, Brady to Chuck on the other quality players. Um, I'm not so sure about Colin white as a first line center. You know, his, his numbers are, are kind of – he had that one good year in 2018-19. They certainly dropped off last year with just 23 points in 61 games. You know, so if you, you carry that forward, you take a few points and a few games away, you're looking at a, a first-line center who may not even hit the 20-point mark, uh, albeit in a, a shortened season. That's, that's a bit of a, a problem for me in terms of, of building from there. Um, the second line is where we kind of expect uh, third overall pick Tim Stutzley to land uh, to be the second line left wing for them. Obviously, that is could end up being changed if they want to protect him in terms of matchups. They can move him to the third line. Chris Tierney will be the center for them, and then Connor Brown on the right wing. Uh, you'll have Alex Galchenyuk as uh, uh, the left wing third line guy kind of trying to revitalize his career after kind of some missteps in, in Pittsburgh and in Minnesota. Josh Norris 
is a is an intriguing maybe uh you know kind of up and coming guy for them that could factor in as their, their third line center drake batherson again on the other side artem anisimov austin watson and nick paul right now projecting out as that fourth line um again l- look this team is rebuilding so questions are always going to be there. there there's not going to be any straightforward answers for a club in a, in a rebuilding mode you know does stutzley come in and just dominate does his game you know I talked about this when we talked earlier in the season. I might have taken him uh, number two instead if I, you know, if I were drafting just because he's playing in the DEL, which is the league uh, that has grown adults playing in it. And I, I think the competition in the DEL has been steadily rising, and and I think he's probably more NHL ready, um, you know, than than some other players. I wouldn't have passed on Lafreniere. Absolutely not. That guy was a lock at the number one, but Stutzley easily could have gone number two uh, for me. So he could come over and show how NHL ready he really is. And, and maybe that gives them some options in terms of how to stretch out these lines and change things up. But anytime you've got a rebuild, there's more questions than answers, and, and that carries forward into the forward group as well. Yeah, the addition of that enough for me is a good one for Ottawa. That, that's a nice gr- upgrade on the top line. But you mentioned that it could be a real bit of a turnstile at center. Colin White not inspiring me as a number one guy. Look at a guy like Artem Anisimov. He's played top six minutes elsewhere, even in Chicago. And so maybe he gets a look in the top six. It's another reason to keep an eye on the rotowire lineups that we put out. Stutzley was, is going to get a lot of ice time here. And could be in line for a Calder Trophy if if he does take advantage of that. Right now, he gets a chance at top six minutes and probably some power play time. That's a good opportunity for him to get his feet wet in the NHL. And maybe last chance saloon for Alex Galchenyuk, though. If he doesn't get his act together this year in Ottawa, it could be lights out and maybe a trip back across the pond to the KHL to see what uh, what he can come up with in terms of salvaging a career that's gone south in the last little while. Up next, AJ, we get to my favorite club, the Toronto Maple Leafs. New faces we highlighted. Joe Thornton, Jimmy Vesey, Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian, Travis Boyd, TJ Brody, and Miko Leighton, and maybe the most intriguing of all, coming across the pond as a stalwart in the KHL to uh, suit up on the second pairing, I think, on the Leafs' blue line. But let's take a look at the goalie tandem first. AJ, what do you see there? Well, first, I, I should have warned our listeners ahead of time that if, you know, if you're listening uh, in your car or watching on YouTube, you should be able to skip ahead about an hour um, by the time, you know, Paul gets done talking about Toronto here. So, uh, no, it, it won't be that bad. Paul likes to keep things short and, and succinct, so he has to rein me in more often than, than anything. Uh, in terms of the net mining, look, it's, Fre- it's the Freddie Anderson show. Despite all the talk in the offseason that, that he was going to be shipped out and that they were going to go in a different direction, that they were in on Matt Murray at one point, you know, I, I think Hearts maybe stopped for a minute in Toronto when the news first dropped that they were making a trade with the Penguins. People were probably worried that, that that's the direction that they were going there to bring in Matt Murray or something. So, um, you know, behind him, I think Jack Campbell's the presumptive number two, but they brought in Aaron Dell to at least compete. Uh, Dell's had some uh, some rough, uh, especially last year, a rough season in, in San Jose. Um, really didn't grab his chance to take over as the number one for them with Marty Jones struggling. He just struggled along with him. So uh, I think Campbell goes into camp as the number one or a number two option here, but I would not be shocked if Dell secured the backup job during training camp. Uh, it'll certainly be a competition 
Freddie Anderson, I, again, this is another one. I would expect 70% of games uh, to be uh, around where he ends up taking this uh, just because of, you know, Campbell seems like a good up-and-coming prospect, but when you got a guy like Frederick Anderson, you don't sit him on the bench, uh, in, in my opinion. So 70% of games is, is where I project him to land. I think uh, that might be right on, AJ, but I do think it's worth noting that he's in a contract year and the Leafs are in a real conundrum about what happens next season to their goalie tandem. Campbell is a guy who was a former first-round draft pick, been a career backup. He's going to get more ice time because of the back-to-back situations, and they're going to really keep a close eye on him to see if he can be a, a key part of a goalie tandem going forward. He signed a longer term than Anderson on his current deal, and uh, so that's a factor too. But uh, Freddie has uh, one more chance to make good in Toronto, and this is it. So the motivation is there for him, and I expect him to really take flight this season. The blue line here, AJ, is, I think, much improved and high time. Morgan Riley, I think, gets back to the definite 1A, and he's going to be the starter on the power play. He ceded that role to, to the departed defenseman now that we talked about in Edmonton, but he's going to get the reins again, and I think he could be one of the the top scoring blue liners his new partner on the on the regular pairings is tj brody perhaps the best partner he's had in terms of overall skills in his career in toronto and uh, pretty soon he's going to be playing for a new contract too so i expect one of the more elite defensemen in the nhl to be riley once again and brody could see an uptick in his career trajectory he knows what it's like to be a first pairing guy as he was in calgary the second pairing could be the leafs shutdown group that's jake muzzin one of the heart and soul guys on this club and justin hall maybe the the most improved player on the team but certainly a guy who will be dangled in front of i think seattle uh, at the expansion draft next season the way i see it miko layton and i i hinted that this guy could be the linchpin on the second power play for the leafs he was the best defenseman in the khl last year comes across the pond and will get a regular shift on this team and i could see him making a case for second pairing minutes but right now he's listed as third pairing behind behind the four that we mentioned and zach lugosian gives some bite to this blue line and uh, the Stanley, defending stanley cup champion comes here with that pedigree too and pushes the likes of dermot and marinson to a fourth line possibilities even rasmus sandin a young guy who had showed glimpses of of uh, really good skills in his cameo last season he'll have to fight for minutes here and uh, prove that the off-season weight training program that he was on will bear fruit so real better much better depth here on the blue line in toronto yeah, I think, as you kind of alluded to, Miko Lettinen is, is the biggest question mark uh, here for, for them and, and what he can bring uh, to the table in, in terms of, uh, you know, production on, on the back end um, has been, you know, an overseas guy for, for much of it or for all of his career, rather. And, and I think it'll be um, interesting to see, you know, has some offensive upside. You, you look at his numbers in the past. Um, this season, uh, you know, he started out with Joker uh, in the KHL to start the year, 17 points in 17 games. That's a pretty good, uh, you know, start to the year before you head into your first NHL training camp. So it'll be really interesting to see what they get out of him. And I agree, Paul, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't, uh, you know, get up into top four for them before, say, uh, February, <laughs> honestly, I, I know we're starting mid January, but I, I'm not sold on Justin Hole. You obviously see him a little bit more than I do, but uh, uh, I, I think Lettinen could be uh, a top four very quickly for them. In terms of the forward complement, you've got Zach Hyman on the top line with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Uh, really, no complaints about this group, uh, and, and there really shouldn't be. They've 
uh, produced really well for, for much of uh, their time together. You got Ilya Mikheyev back uh, after his injury last year with John Tavares and William Nylander. Uh, look, those uh, Tavares and Mikheyev had a really good start to the year before that wrist injury, and I I, I thought he was potentially going to put himself in the Calder uh, discussion with how well those two seem to be playing off each other and, and what they were doing there. So uh, a good group. Uh, the third line is is really interesting. Uh, uh, you talk about the new faces and new places. Uh, you've got, you know, Alex Kerfoot here on, on the wing with Jumbo Joe Thornton playing center for the Maple Leafs and then Jimmy Vesey on the on the right side. Uh, there's plenty of players that are going to push for, for spots here. You know, Thornton might be the only one that's really locked into this line. Um, I think Wayne Simmons could challenge. Even a guy like Nick Patan could push for the uh, spot here. Uh, fourth line early on, you've got Nick Robertson, Jason Spezza, and Wayne Simmons, Travis Boyd will challenge Spezza, and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see these guys evenly divide the, the 56 games, if I'm being totally honest. You know, Boyd and Spezza each playing like 28 or something um, wouldn't, wouldn't be a shock to me. So um, there's not a lot of weaknesses uh, in this forward group. Even looking at a fourth line, look, uh, I wouldn't want to play against Wayne Simmons, Jason Spezza. Uh, you know, these are guys that are experienced, and, and Simmons especially adds some physicality here. If there's maybe a knock, it's it's what happens with Jimmy VC, but I think they have enough options to replace him if it doesn't really work out here. You know what, AJ? This is the best forward group in this division, period, end of sentence. That's my analysis here. <laughs> uh, you know, it's pretty clear that Austin Matthews, John Tavares, one of the best one-twos in the middle of the ice. When you're talking about third and fourth line centers, Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza, sure, they're not the fastest guys in the world, but try to get the puck off them. If you've seen the highlight reels and, and watched the games, they're better, two of the better puck possession guys that you'll see in the bottom six, and that's not even talking about any of the wingers. Nick Robertson uh, lit it up in junior hockey, and he showed well in a cameo in the playoffs last year. He'll move up very quickly in this roster if they're, if that trajectory that he showed early on, uh, those skills that he showed early on, they manifest themselves over time Wayne Simmons is a guy that I look to challenge VC and maybe Nylander if Nylander doesn't get out of the gate there's some real pressure on the top six here to do right a guy that I'm keeping an eye on though is on the top line Zach Hyman is a guy who's playing in a contract year I don't know how they fit him in going forward with a new deal unless he takes a real big hometown discount but he's a a guy that almost has a lot as much to say on that top unit as Matthews and Marner because of all the pitchfork pitchfork and uh, heavy work heavy duty work that he does uh, in terms of digging the puck out for the talented players Marner if he's healthy and got his head right could be one of the league leaders in assists if you're looking at that category Matthews won't get to the 50 goal campaign just because the season is so short this year but he'll contend for the Rocket Richard trophy uh, I think this is a dynamic group and I can't wait to see them get started AJ take us to Vancouver yeah, you know, the, the new faces and new places are pretty limited here. So it's, it's Nate Schmidt on the blue line. And then the big one, Braden Holpe. Uh, it, it was honestly more departures for Vancouver than, than additions in, in the offseason here. So uh, with that about Holpe, we'll dive into the netminders. And I think uh, he projects to be the number one here with Thatcher Demko uh, being the heir apparent for them still. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's quite ready to take over as the number one. Uh, they obviously agree, but I wouldn't be surprised to see closer to, you know, a, a 60, 40, or even a 55, 45 split as they try and get Demko 
acclimated to being a, a number one guy for them and, and really being the future. I think Braden Holpe is a short-term fix for them, uh, albeit a fantastic short-term fix. If there's a guy that I would want to bring in as a, as a short-term holdover to, to secure my net mining, it definitely would have been Braden Holpe here. Um, so I, I love this goaltending tandem. I think it sets them up, up well for now and the future, assuming Demko continues to project in the right direction. Yeah, I hope he should be motivated after a sub, bit of a subpar season for him that kind of greased the skids to get out of there and give way to the incumbent. We'll talk about that situation in upcoming weeks, but Holtby will be motivated by having to make make up for a bit of a downtick the last year. Thatcher Denko, a lot of people are high on him, and that's re- one of the reasons why Vancouver saw fit to see uh, Markstrom leave. They had very a lot of confidence in this tandem. It remains to be seen how that plays out, but I think it's going to be a pretty even split in the net minding here. On defense in front of them, one of the more dynamic uh, top pairings that we'll see in this division if they keep these two guys together they're two of the linchpins on their power play Alex Edler and Quinn Hughes and uh, very good puck movers very good offensive instincts and should be drafted in your uh, in your deep uh, hockey pools Quinn Hughes definitely among the top 15 defensemen offensively in the league Edler probably a second tier guy but uh, make no mistake they both can can uh, figure into scoring in your DFS lineups too Nate Schmidt was a quality addition AJ in terms of a depth experience and some offensive upside there he'll be partnered with defensive minded Jordy Ben on a pretty effective second pairing Tyler Myers used to be a top scoring defenseman don't oversell him if you're preparing for your draft don't overrank him he's now settled into more of a defensive role and he'll be a third line player uh maybe partnered with a youngster like Oli Uolivi or Jalen Chatfield to round out that grouping a bit of a weakness there in terms of the third pairing with less than name recognition types yeah I mean it's it's maybe not the the strongest third pairing in the league but I I still think Tyler Myers can be uh, a a solid player for them I I agree I don't necessarily think you want to take him high in, in fantasy drafts. I totally agree with that analysis from the fantasy side of it. Uh, if I'm a Vancouver fan, I don't feel too bad, honestly, with a, a guy like Tyler, Tyler Myers being on the third pairing here, especially when you have offensive guys like Edler and Hughes and you added Nate Schmidt. So I, I really think um, the third pairing doesn't worry me given the rest of it, this blue line. In terms of the forward complement, uh, first line is, of course, going to be centered uh, by Elias Pettersson, and he'll play with JT Miller and Brock Besser. Uh, this is, I think, uh, one of the, the best up-and-coming line of, you know, first lines in, in the league. Um, you know, a lot of the other ones we talked about are, are more established veterans filling this role. Here we've got a, a couple youngsters who, who can really continue uh, upward trajectory. So um, I think good things are around the corner for Vancouver even if it's, you know, potentially not this year. Um, We'll see how that all shakes out in a minute. But uh, I definitely think they are headed in the right direction. Tanner Pearson, Bo Horvat, and unfortunately for Vancouver fans, Louis Erickson rounding out the second line. This guy will continue to suck all the money out of Vancouver for minimal results uh, again this year. Like I said, right now in that second line, but his, you know, he spent time as a healthy scratch, and that's certainly a possibility to happen again third line uh Antoine Roussel Adam Gaudet look uh, I don't know if this makes me an Adam Gaudet apologist or what but I really love this kid I, I think he can be 
a solid third line player capable of producing, you know, in an 82 game season, I'd expect him to be 25, 30 points is, is where I would put him. And uh, that's, you know, not too bad to shake a stick at when you're talking about your third line center, Brandon Sutter, they have moving over to the wing right now. Um, and that's because they've got Jay Beagle to kind of take that fourth line role. Um, so Sutter will move over to the wing. But Beagle will have Mott and or Justin Bailey, I think, could be a contender there as well. And then Jake Vertanen on the other side. Um, all this uh, will get shuffled up, no doubt, if and when Michael Furland is cleared to come back. But again, this is another player um, that as the months have gone on and on, we've just continued to hear you know, things haven't really improved. Things haven't really gotten better for him, unfortunately. So it's hard to know, you know, if and when he might be back. Uh, if he does come back and, and is healthy, I would just put him in for Louis Erickson and bump Louis Erickson to the, you know, to the, the press box, as it were, um, because I, I just don't think he's got much to offer left these days. And, and it's really just uh, a cap waste that, that nobody wanted to take, I'm sure. They would have given away, you know, prospects and draft picks for somebody to take on that cap hit, but nobody really wanted it. Yeah, nobody was biting. AJ, the strength of this offense is down the middle. You highlighted it with Pedersen, Horvat, and Gaudet. The fortunes of the team are going to go one way or another. If the centers drive these lines like I think they can, they'll be among the elite team this, in this division. But the quality on the wings is, is a bit of a concern with me, and if they don't pull their weight, they could suffer in the standings. I'm betting on the centers myself, and uh, elite wingers like J.T. Miller and Brock Besser might be best suit, suited to switch uh, onto separate lines. Tanner Pearson will be a key guy here. He's another guy who's played top six minutes in the past and will be asked to work with Horvat to drive that second unit. And I agree with you. The question mark here is Louis Erickson. Does he manage to hold off the likes of Jake Furtan and Brandon Sutter for ice time on that uh, second pairing, a second line? We round out our look uh, at this division by the the final club, and that's the Winnipeg Jets, AJ. The Jets, in terms of what they did last season, uh, getting ready for this year, didn't do as much work as some of the other clubs in this division in terms of name guys. The biggest name added is Paul Stastny to figure in a second line minutes. Derek Forbert, Nate Thompson, and Dominic Toninato will form form uh, challenges for the bottom six on forward and or defense, uh, respectively. But uh, why don't you take us into the goalie tandem there and explain to our listeners that this might be a situation where you get one guy taking a lion's share of the action. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've got Vesna Trophy winning uh, netminer Connor Hellyabuck to stabilize that back end. And, and look, you know, we'll talk about it in just a minute. The, the decor here has been much maligned. And yet somehow, uh, Hellybuck continued to thrive uh, last season and, and walked away with the, maybe not walked away, but took home the Vesna um, <laughs> a- after the season. And so, yes, I think they have plenty of confidence in Laurent Brossois um, that he could take back to backs. But I would peg uh, right now Connor Hellybuck to play the most games of any goalie this season. Um, I would not be shocked to see him play upwards of 40 games. Um, I really think, you know, in terms of a percentage split here, could be 80-20. I mean, this is a guy who thrives on playing every single night, could start, you know, back-to-backs, especially, you know, if they if they travel for four days and then they're going to be off for three, four days after that, I wouldn't be surprised to see how you buck take three of the four games over that stretch. Even if there's a you know one uh, one or, or even two back to backs in that four game stretch, so 
Uh, he's my pick to, to play the most games this season. Uh, you know, I haven't seen any specific props on that yet, but if you're looking out there and you're looking at it, whatever they set it at, unless it's like, unless they set it at 50, take the over um, in terms of his games played. I expect him to lead the league in that category this year. You know what? I love the fact that I can say that Connor Hellevik's been my goalie in a couple of dynasty leagues that I've been in a part a part of for years, and he's not going anywhere off the Paul Bruno roster anytime soon because I agree with your assessment. He could be the one guy that threatens the 50 games played mark. And realistically, I think it's going to be low 40s for him and still, like, like you said, leading the league in terms of that amount of action. He's going to be played, though, by one of the weaker defensive cores, and uh, that continues this season. They may have taken an uptick by adding uh, Dylan DeMello uh, and Josh Morrissey as one of the better defensive shutdown pairings. Morrissey will probably be one of their better offensive options on the blue line too. Nathan Beaulieu needs to stay healthy and uh, get a long-term assignment with with Neil Pionk. He's the best player in terms of overall skill on this blue line. Pionk is. He'll be the linchpin uh, quarterbacking the power play here. Derek Forbert was one of the few off-season additions that they made to try and bolster this unit. And uh, Tucker Pullman, that's the third pairing on paper at least and Sammy Niku and Lucas Bisa may have something to say about that AJ like I don't know if Winnipeg just gets overlooked in drafts because they're so far north in the middle of nowhere or if people think they're still the Atlanta Thrashers and they're they're looking for the wrong team but for whatever reason and I've talked about this in terms of Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler uh, this team gets overlooked I think in, in in drafting and so if you get to about the mid you know, I would say fourth, fifth round of your draft, and Neil Pionk is still available. Absolutely, click that draft button immediately. I agree with Paul. He is their probably their best offensive de- uh, offensive defenseman. Yes, just six goals last season, but thirty nine assists uh, for a forty five point campaign. I would peg him in. You know, you factor in the uh, drop off for number of games played. If you look on RotoWire.com, we project him for thirty three points. I think he'll exceed that um, pretty handily. Um, I would guess. I, you know what? Honestly, I'll put it out there. I don't think 45, a repeat of 45, would be outrageous um, for him, even in a 56-game season. So uh, I, I would plant my flag on him as a third, you know, third, fourth, maybe even fifth-round pick. Uh, if he's available, absolutely grab him there. In terms of the forward complement. Uh, the top line will be reunited after having had to break up for a good chunk of last season. You've got Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, and Blake Wheeler. Uh, obviously, with the injury to Brian Little, Wheeler had to move to their second-line center. Had plenty of success doing that. I, I think it worked out fine. Um, but the addition of Paul Sassy is key here. That Honestly, it's more about the fact that Wheeler can go back to being the first-line right-winger than it is about actually having Paul Statsny here. They, any number of uh, second-line centers could have been an option that would have let them reunite Shifley and Wheeler. These guys have just had too much sustained success together not to play them together. And so Paul Statsny, I think a bit of a down year last year, had uh, you know productive numbers in his previous you know brief stint in Winnipeg, and I think he can do that again. And he's going to be flanked by a pair of top guys in, in Nikolai Ehlers and Patrick Laine. So I really, you know, Paul Stassi will fall into some assists just by, like, throwing it to Laine, who will use that wicked wrister and just throw it into the net. That That's cannon of a slap shot as well. Um, so I, I think he'll have a, a good rebound season. 
it drops off a little bit in terms of, of the rest of the lineup here. You've got Andrew Cobb, Adam Lowry, and it looks like for now, Mason Appleton will make up the third line. These guys can put up more points than I think people give them credit for. And they do add a bit of defensive stability and, and everything. I, I think they're a good matchup as a third line. They're not going to blow you away like some of the other clubs, but they're not going to be walkovers where it's like, oh, these guys are on the ice. My team's going to put in a ton of goals against them. Uh, this is a solid third line. And then from there, uh, Jansen Harkins projects as the fourth line, but I think Dominic Tenato will factor in there. Again, same thing with Jack Roslavic and Nate Thompson. It's it's kind of veteran established guys who are going to push uh, these kind of younger guys for, for roles here. And then Matthew Perot will be the anchor, I think, for this uh, line on, on the right side. There's plenty of intrigue for me when you look at this offense, AJ. Certainly Shifley and Wheeler are the guys that drive this team and are the team leaders and point producers. Kyle Connor's a guy that consistently was a 30, 25 to 30 goal scorer the last couple of years, so don't underrate him in your drafts. He could be a sneaky pick in the uh, earlier rounds that you should take a look at. Paul Stastny will be tasked with getting the most out of Ehlers and Lyonnais. He's a very good distributor of the puck and, and I think an upgrade over what they've had at the second line center role this will be a real good chance for him to reassert himself as one of the top top 30 centers in this in this league I'll say Stastny has that kind of upside in my opinion but really the key for me is where is Patrick Laine's head at he has made no bones about it in the past that he wants to play with Shifley on the top line and if he doesn't get his head squared around to to playing a second line uh, situation with Stastny that's going to drag him and this team down and I think it's a very key factor that should not be understated and I'm glad I said it for both of us AJ We'll see which one of us is right because I know when we get to the way we look at the predicted order of finish, it's very different between you and me, and uh, I want to hear what you have to say first. Well, yeah, so I'm going to start, you know, maybe it's just top of mind here because we just talked about them, but I'm going to pick Winnipeg to win the division. Um, They have, uh, you know, some would say the best goalie in the league, for sure one of the top two if you want to throw Andre Vasilevsky rightfully into that conversation. So uh, they've got a goalie. Uh, that will steal games if if the rest of the team has a bad outing. He seems unfazed by having a kind of uh, unremarkable D group in front of him. Look, he won the Vesna with the D group they had last year. Um, I don't see why he couldn't do it again this season. And they added a, a minor piece, uh, you know, back there in Derek Forbrook. But I think they just need some some small tweaks. I expect Neil Pionk and Josh Morrissey to continue to improve. They'll get to mellow for, for a full season here. Um, so for me, there's all the there's enough improvement on the D line with an already stud goaltender and a top two lines that'll rival any in the league. So for me, Winnipeg, I think, wins it. Uh, Toronto comes in number two. We talked about they've got all that same all those same pieces. Top stars on the on their top two lines, a solid netminder. Um, I would say they have a, a better decor, absolutely, but um, I would give the edge to Hellybuck in terms of the, the net mining there. So uh, Toronto at number two, Edmonton at number three, they've got the best, arguably the two of the best players in the league uh, in Dryside on McDavid. So they're not going to be out of the playoffs from here is where I kind of had some struggle struggles. I like Calgary a lot. I think there's a lot to like about that team, but the goaltending is a huge concern for me. Montreal has the goaltending. But we talked about their D core is not the speediest of guys. So uh, there's some problems there. Uh, all 
All that to say, I eventually landed on Vancouver as the number four team here. Uh, they improved the net mining with Braden Holpe. They've got youngsters on defense who are up and coming. Yes, there's some concerns in their top nine that I highlighted, but they also have one of the brightest star, you know, up and coming stars in the league in Pedersen. So I've got Vancouver at four, Montreal at five. Carey Price is not going to let them w- lose enough games to be at the bottom of this league. That's for sure. Calgary at six because of their goaltending problems. And then Ottawa, as we all know, uh, coming in last, despite, you know, I would say improved net minding in Ottawa with, with Matt Murray there. Um, but it's just not going to be enough for a team that's still in the midst of a, a total overhaul in terms of their team. AJ, long-term fans have never heard me say the following in our season previews. I'm picking the Maple Leafs first in this division. <laughs> okay, I've never said that in six years. And you talk about me being a Leaf homer, but this year I'm putting my my flag on the Toronto club finishing first. And uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned, very top to bottom depth on the, on the offense. I think a motivated Freddie Anderson is going to be a better version of Freddie Anderson than we've seen in the last couple of years. One of the league workhorses as well. Should be one of the first goalies picked in most uh, drafts behind Ellie Buck. No question. And the defense is much improved. I think that's the key that holds the fortunes of this club. If that group can uh, approach the level of improvement that I expect, I think the Leafs will be win this division, and I'll say almost handily over the rest of the, of the league. Uh, I think otherwise, if they don't play up to expectations, the Leafs will still be threatening no worse than second place in this loop. Definitely the top six teams, I think, are pretty easy to pick. Ottawa, for me, winds up in last place, but they'll, they'll surprise some teams this season. And, you know, they play some teams eight or nine or ten times. They're going to beat a couple of these teams three, maybe four times, and really be a, a wrench in the plans of some of the other clubs that expect to be in the playoffs. So we'll get to the second place team now the Vancouver Canucks are my pick largely on the strength of a real nice one-two punch at center and on the blue line and the fact that they've got a very nice tandem in the nets that we've highlighted earlier on so really some some really good baselines expected based on on the facts that they have some really good star power in those positions and I think the supporting cast is good enough to put them in a in a second place position ahead of a team like Edmonton that has I think a clear deficiency in that and I think you echoed that sentiment as well certainly one of the top tandems at center in the league that's certainly going to fill the net at the other end of the ice they're going to be involved in some high scoring games this season Edmonton is uh, but I think they're in, in for a playoff spot I know you agree and uh, it's funny that we have that's the only team that we have in the same uh, standings aside from Calgary and Ottawa in this division Montreal I pegged them to be a fourth place team largely because I want to see a Toronto Montreal playoff in the first round AJ and uh, that could be a lot of excitement in upper and lower Canada here Winnipeg Jets I this is a big discrepancy that you and I have I think their defense is really suspect still in terms of quality and uh, when compared to teams in this division ranks maybe near the bottom and that's going to drag them down I think there's some question marks offensively I mentioned line a really a question mark for me for this team and I think if he's not right he's going to drag their fortunes down almost single-handedly Calgary they have some agitators they have Matthew Tuchuk foremost among them and Lucic it could be fun just watching the highlight reels of the scraps that this team's involved in but and the top line is very dynamic as you said Giordano still uh, uh, 
top scoring defenseman with a nice partner again this season and uh, the Ottawa Senators look they're going to feature a lot a new look with several new players Stutzley is a guy that if he gets regularized time will threaten for the Calder and that might be the thing that they they highlight most about the Ottawa Senators this season AJ any final thoughts next week we're going to turn our attention to the Western Division but uh, any final thoughts about this show well, I would just say, uh, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to all of our, our listeners out there. And I would love to see, you know, your team branded gear, whatever you get for Christmas, tweet that out to us. You know, I got the penguin masks here. Um, you know, uh, I got this jersey a couple years ago. So I'd love to see what you get for your holiday holiday tweets. So tweet those at us, uh, as Paul always mentions at the top, at Statsman22 for Paul, at AJ Schultz for me, uh, AJ Schultz24 for me. And send those uh, send those pictures to us, you know, Christmas morning and and the the days after. Indeed, I echo your sentiments, AJ. Merry Christmas and season greetings to all our listeners. It wraps up this episode of Puckcast, the first of our division summaries. We'll look at the Western Division next week. And as always, we invite you to listen to Puckcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 